Well, good morning, Velocity Church. It is great to be with you virtually this morning. And I, as Adria said, my name is Chip Pryor, and I'm the Creative Arts Director here. And I'm just honored to speak with you today as we close out this series called Rhythms of a Disciple. And so we've been looking at some of the characteristics of what a disciple is and what a disciple does. And today, as we close out the series, we are going to define what that word disciple means. So to get us started, we're going to play a little game. So at home, we're going to play this game, and I'm going to have Joe, our media guy. He's going to flash a logo on the screen, and I'm going to give you about five seconds. Okay, if you were here, I'd have you just shout it out at me, but I'm going to give you about five seconds, and at home, you just shout out into your phone or on your computer or whatever it is what the logo represents. So it's going to go from kind of easy to a little more difficult. All right, so here's the first one, all right? So you got five seconds. You didn't need five seconds for this one, right? Just do it. It's Nike, right? Okay, the next one, Golden Arches. If you said McDonald's, you are incorrect. This is McDowell's. You guys ever remember McDowell's? That was the McDonald's knockoff on that movie Coming to America. By the way, have you heard that Coming to America 2 is coming out? That is going to be terrible. <laughs> I cannot imagine that's going to be a good movie at all. Uh, how about these golden arches? Ah, uh, yes, you don't need five seconds for that, right? That is Mickey D's McDonald's. Uh, this one gives me a lot of joy when I see this one. So how about you? Do you get a lot of joy when you see this one? That is the logo for Amazon Prime. How? Did we function as a society before Amazon Prime was part of our reality? I don't know. Um, here's an indication that you're rich. This happened to me, I kid you not, this morning. As I walked out my front door, there was that little box with that blue little arrow, and I ordered something a day ago, and I could not remember what it was. So this is an indication of how wealthy I am, that I just order stuff, and I'm like, I don't even remember what that is. Good first world problem to have, don't you think? Um, how about this one right here? If you don't know what that is, I don't know if you can zoom in on this, but I'm wearing it. It's the North Face. Yes, so it's very expensive gear, so I like to wear that and, and show again how, how wealthy I am. And also, it just gives you an indication of all the adventures that I've been on. That's why we wear North Face. All right, here's probably the hardest one so far. What about this one right here? What does this represent? How about the one after that? Maybe you've seen this on a bumper before. Back in the day, uh, if you were looking for a plumber, and you wanted to find someone who hopefully wouldn't rip you off, you would look through the yellow pages, remember those things? And you would look for that little, that little fish thing, because that hopefully signified that someone was, was honest and wouldn't rip you off too much. Uh, but that, that cross and that fish, those are logos that are meant to signify that whoever is branding them, whether you're, you have a tattoo of one of those things or you have a bumper sticker or something like that, that that is something that signifies that you are a Christian. So what exactly is a Christian? If we asked 100 people out there what a Christian is, we would probably get 100 different responses. And if someone asked you that question, if someone asked you, are you a Christian, how would you respond? Would you say, with a resounding yes, for sure? Or would you ask, what do you mean by that? 
would you say, yes, but let me clarify. I don't want to just make a yes or no blanket statement there. Uh, would you say, I'm not really sure. I don't really know. Would you say, most definitely not. And in fact, I can't stand Christians. And why is that? Why are so many people so adverse to Christians and Christianity in our culture? And I think I came up with just a list of kind of the modern words that many associate with Christians. And there's just these five, judgmental, Republican, homophobic, anti-abortion, pro-gun. I mean, if that's what being a Christian entails, I don't really want any part of that, and you don't either. And I'm not making a value statement on all of those words. There's no like, morals attached to those words, but that is what most of the world and most of us in our society look when you think of Christianity and those of us that are Christian. That's a lot of what the picture is that, that people have in their minds. And that begs the question, what makes a person a Christian? Uh, is it because you said a prayer once when you were a kid? Is it because you went to confirmation class as a teenager because your parents made you go? Did you go to a, uh, a camp when you were little and you had kind of a, a Jesus moment? Uh, is it because you go to a Christian church or you watch a Christian church online? I don't know if you know this, but Velocity Church, Velocity is our first name, Church is our last name, but we actually have a middle name. It's Velocity Christian Church. So you think, well, maybe I, I watch Velocity Church for 45 minutes to an hour every week, so I guess that makes me a Christian. I know it's not like a mosque or a, a synagogue, so I guess that makes me a, a Christian. Did you know that the definition of a Christian is nowhere found in the Bible? It is not to be found. And it actually only appears three times in the Bible, but it's never defined. And so in Acts 12, or I'm sorry, Acts 11, verse 26, this is the first mention of this, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So that's the first time that word Christians is seen in the Bible. And that term meant little Christ. Christ, that's a hard word to say, little Christ. And what that meant was that that was a kind of a derogatory term that people were attributing to these disciples, these followers of Christ, and they were calling them these, these little Christs, these Christians. And that was a derogatory name given to them by the culture in which they lived that they adopted later on as their own. So like when I was a kid, maybe when you were a kid, you grew up and probably the worst thing to be called was a nerd or a geek or something like that. If someone called you a nerd, that meant like one of the worst things and you hung out with the nerd culture and the, the geek crowd. But now it's like the exact opposite. If someone calls you a nerd, it means that you're probably really smart. If you're like a, like a geek, it means you just geek out. We've actually made verbs out of that. <laughs> so you nerd out on stuff or you geek out on stuff, and it just means that you're kind of a connoisseur of, of information. So it's, it's an endearing term. It's kind of a badge of honor now. And so as we think about this word Christian, I want to ask to ponder and ask a terrifying and disturbing question. So here it is. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? So my fear is that when we define ourselves as a Christian, we're not really distinguishing ourselves from any other people group. There's this Chinese protester called the Invisible Man by the name of Lu Bolin. And what he does is he paints himself into landscapes all over the world as a form of protest. And as you can see by some of these pictures, you can kind of barely make him out. I mean, this guy is a total genius. Some of them, they're a little bit easier to pick out. Some are, it takes you a while to figure out 
where he's at. I find these really incredible. And some of these pictures where you can make them out easily and others it takes a while, it just reminds me that, you know, if we're Christians and that's what we're defining ourselves as and that's what we call ourselves as, uh, that's pretty good camouflage. You know, so how will, how will the world even know if you're a Christian? Uh, will it be by your, by your bumper stickers, by your little fish slogan on your, on your car? Maybe you have a flagpole and you hoist the Christian flag or maybe you get a tattoo of something Christian. So is that how the word will, world will know that you're a follower of Christ? In the 13th chapter of John, Jesus is going to define once and for all what a follower of his entails, and he'll define it with such clarity and such simplicity. So in John 13, 1 through 5, John writes this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want to stop there. That phrase, he loved them to the end, there's another translation that I kind of grew up memorizing, and it said that he now is going to show them the full extent of his love. I kind of like that one a little bit better, but just keep that in mind that Jesus is going to, in a second here, he's going to show his disciples, his followers, his best friends, the full extent of his love. So John writes, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So there should be a, a dot, dot, dot there. Because if I'm writing scripture, okay, this is the climax of the story. You can just kind of feel the tension building. He's going to show the disciples the full extent of his love. And then it says the Father had put all things under his power. So if I'm writing scripture, it's going to go something like this. So Jesus picked up weapons and he plotted a plan with his disciples. They, they got out a map of the city and they showed like the, the routes that they were going to take to overturn it or they were going to make plans to, to lead a revolution and seize the Roman palace and overthrow the government or something like that. I mean, that's what like a, a blockbuster movie would do. But the story in John is a little bit different. John writes, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So what Jesus was doing was stripping off all of his clothes, putting on a servant's towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet. I wish there was some kind of modern equivalent uh, some kind of analogy that would be like a foot washer in Jesus' time, but I can't really think of anything. It was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lows. <laughs> Dirty jobs with micro to have. And, you know, maybe it'd be like, I don't know, like scrubbing toilets. But, you know, even when we scrub toilets today, I mean, we, we have gloves and we have a brush and maybe some, some cleaner. But just, just think of whatever the lowest job is in our society, society and times it by 100. That's what a foot washer was in Jesus' time. And so here he is showing them the full extent of his love that he knows that all things have been given to him by the Father and that he has received all things under his power. And that's what he does. He washes his disciples' feet. Later in John 13, verse 14, Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So here's what a disciple is. This isn't a Christian. 
What a disciple is, is a follower, it's a learner, it's a copier. Okay, so a disciple of Christ is a follower of Christ. Uh, a disciple of Christ is a learner of Christ. And I think most importantly, a disciple is a copycat, a copier of Jesus. And what Jesus did, that is the way that we, as disciples, are called to live. And now Jesus, once and for all, will define what it means to follow him. John 13, verse 34 and 35 reads, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is Jesus' evangelism strategy for the world, that everyone will know that you are my disciple by your love for one another. It's so simple, but it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's a disturbing question. So I have to ask it again. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? I like to think of it kind of like breakfast. Okay, so you have some eggs and some bacon, a plate of eggs and bacon. Maybe some of you are eating some eggs and bacon right now watching this. And so you have some eggs and bacon. The chicken made a contribution to breakfast. The pig, total commitment. All right, chicken, just a contributor. Pig, total commitment. So what are you? Are you a Christian kind of contributor? Or are you a disciple? Are you a, a pig disciple, if you will? And if you're a Christian who just makes a contribution, um, that's left wanting. Jesus has called us to be so much more. He's called us to be pig-like, to make a total contribution the same way that, that he did. Now, it might beg the question, like, well, how am I going to pull that off? Okay, I know that I'm supposed to love more people and I'm supposed to be more loving and things like that, but um, it's really hard. It's hard to do because I'm, if I'm really honest with myself, I'm really self-centered and I'm looking out for number one most of the time, so how the heck am I going to pull that off if that's something that God is requiring me to do? And I think the most famous passage in the whole Bible, arguably, can give us some clues to that. So 1 Corinthians 13, you've probably heard it at every wedding you've ever been to. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, Paul writes this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, when we read these, and these words and we think about them at weddings, it's, it kind of makes your heart all warm, and you think, oh, isn't that sweet that the, the bride and the groom are committing to, to love each other this way? But uh, for me, this is more of a... I don't like this passage very much because it's, uh, when I match my life up to that, um, I find that I am so lacking. And so I want you to feel what I feel when I read this passage as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to score at home. So this is like another little game you can play. So you might want to get out a piece of paper and a pen or your notes app on your phone and just put like a, a mark on the piece of paper if you get like a vote in the positive for this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to replace the word love with the word I. And I'm going to read that and see how your life and my life matches up with this, this list. There's like 15 things on there. So you're going to score how many of these out of 15 that you get. Okay, so everyone ready? Here we go. 
I am patient. How y'all doing? Anyone failed the test so far? Or did you like just write down a big old slash like, that's me, I'm patient all the time. It gets worse. Uh, I am patient, I am kind. I don't envy, I don't boast. I'm not proud, I don't dishonor others. I'm not self-seeking, I'm not easily angered, oh no. I never keep a record of wrongs. I don't delight in evil, but I rejoice with the truth. I always protect, I always trust, I always hope, I always persevere. I never fail. All right, so how many of those did you get out of 15? If you're like me, probably not too many. And that's kind of the idea. That is kind of the point of this, is that when we try to to match our life up with the kind of life that God has called us, when he says that we're supposed to love one another and the world will know that you're my disciples by our love for one another, how are you going to pull that off? You know, love is so much more than just like a nice little warm feeling. It's like being patient with people, being kind, not envying, not boasting, not being proud. That whole list of 15 things as a starter. But here's the deal. You can't. And I can't. We can't love other people with that. There's no way us as imperfect, frail human beings can pull that off. But the good news is you don't have to. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to replace love with, with God. And I'm going to read this out. And I'm, I want you just to, to kind of bask in these words and think about them for a second as I read them. And think this is the way that God loves you and the way that God loves me. And this is what makes all the difference in the world. So here we go. God is patient. He's patient with you. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. God does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, and he keeps no record of your wrongs. That's my favorite one. God does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. God always protects, he always trusts, he always hopes, he always perseveres. God never fails. God's love for you never fails. So you see how that works? When God's love is manifested in your life, when you have Christ through the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that's what he wants to do. He gave his life to you so that he could give his life and live his life in and through you. He gave his life for you so he could give his life to you so he could live his life in and through you. It's just so beautiful how that works, and we're, we're going to fail at that. But as we begin to um, submit our will to God, as he, we allow him, we get out of the way, we allow him to live his life in and through us, those things will become more manifested in our life. We'll become more patient. We'll become more kind. We'll become more um, other-seeking and less, less self-seeking. And that's how it works. And it's a beautiful thing that we grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as we continue to live as his disciple and learn what that means. So just some practical things, some steps as we kind of think about this. Uh, I, just wanna, I just came up with a quick little list of four love, don'ts, and do's. So the, when this list hits, you know, um, if, the, if the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't fit, don't wear it. It's kind of one of those things, but 
I think this is just uh, you know, some four steps that I think will give us some practical tips on how to kind of live this out. It's not an exhaustive list, but I think it's just to get us thinking. So here's the first. Don't rant on social media. Anyone else feeling convicted? I am a little bit. Um, don't rant on social media. You're not converting anyone. You're not converting anyone to your side. And it might feel cathartic to get it out. You know, there's a lot of things to be angry about. But you're, you're not bringing anyone to your side. And if you're like me, so many times, you know, you, you become a keyboard warrior and you write this out and it's like you have like this mic drop. I'm dropping the mic and I've said it and there it is. I've never converted anyone. I'm O and 14,639 to my last count. So I'm not converting anyone. You're not converting anyone. You're just annoying everyone. Or you're annoying all the people that don't agree with you and you're just charging up your fan base as small and paltry as it is. And so don't rant on social media. You will never, never, never draw someone closer to Jesus because of your rants. All right, so... Ah, fun stuff here today, isn't it? Okay, here's another don't. Don't hold a grudge. Easier said than done. I understand that. Don't hold a grudge. The Bible tells us to forgive one another, not because it's a law, and God will get you if you don't, but forgive one another as Christ forgave you. And we just read in 1 Corinthians 13 that God keeps no record of your wrongs. And so if you are holding a grudge, over someone, if you're having a hard time forgiving someone, it might just be good to think about, hey, if Christ has forgiven all of my sins and Christ has forgiven all of the other sins of this person, if I'm going to hold a grudge and not forgive someone, that's really saying I have higher standards than God. And so don't hold a grudge. Work at forgiving people. And I know it's a process and it's not to, you know, shake a finger at you, but just like that's the way that we grow in love as disciple, to say, hey, it's not... Um, it's not the way of love to act in a manner where I'm holding grudges against people and, and not forgiving them because you and I have both been forgiven a huge debt that we can never repay back. All right, three. Let's get some positives. Here's some do's. Do practice spiritual disciplines. Okay, a disciple is someone who practices disciplines. So if you're a disciple of Christ, what are some of these disciplines? And we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's, it's praying. Okay, having a consistent time every day to, to pray and praying throughout your day. Uh, it's reading and studying the Bible. It might be listening to, to podcasts. I mean, podcasts are awesome. Not only the one at Velocity, but there are like podcasts of awesome preachers all over the place. And so you can have, you know, awesome messages and, and sermons delivered to your, your phone. And you can have a constant sort of influx of great teaching. It's just a great great tool that we have available to us right now. So that might be one thing. Um, it might be journaling. Um, it might be meditating. But again, disciples are people that have disciplines, and we're only going to grow in our love and knowledge and grace of God as we begin to practice those disciplines. We don't come out of the womb just doing these things by rote, that we have to work at those things, and we have to practice them for them to become normal behavior in our life. And here's the last one. Do look for ways to show love by serving others. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. That's what Jesus calls us and tells us to do is by serving others in love. That is how the world will know that you're my disciples. Can you see the difference between just being a Christian and being a disciple? Who A disciple is someone who shows love. It doesn't just say, 
I love you, but shows and demonstrates love by serving others. And 1 Corinthians later on tells us that if we have not love, our words are like a clanging cymbal. You can say you love people all day long. You can say you're a Christian all day long. You can rant and, and complain and all that, but without love, just a clanging cymbal. You ever been to a, you heard a clanging cymbal like really close to your ear? It's not pleasant. And no one can hear your words unless you are bathing them in love and service. And that's the great thing about it, you know, that your love and service gives context to being able to, to share the gospel with words when it's appropriate and when it's necessary. And so this is how Christ showed us the full extent of his love. It's something we do every week at Velocity. We celebrate communion. So if you're at home right now and you have some, some bread and some juice, you can get that because we're going to spend some time in communion. But this is what God did. He didn't just say, I love you. He didn't just say it from afar. He demonstrated that love. He came to this planet and lived a life, taught us a lot of cool things, and he demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He went to a cross and forgave us all of our sins, forgave the sins of the entire world. And he didn't just stop there. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, so that same life that rose him from the dead can come inside of us and take residence in our hearts and raise us from our condition of spiritual death so he can live his life in and through us. So as we take communion today, uh, celebrate the fact that God does not keep a record of your wrongs, that he longs to, to change you and develop you and, and lead you into a greater awareness of his love and into a greater way of loving other people. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for demonstrating your love for us, for showing your love to us, for not just saying it, but by using action and for going to the cross and forgiving every sin that we ever have committed or ever will commit. Thank you so much for the forgiveness that's extended to all of us and help us to internalize that and to, um, to change us. And may that motivate us by your, your resurrected life inside of us. May that motivate us and, and change us and challenge us to, to serve uh, people with your love. And we realize that we're incapable of doing that on our own, that we're going to need you to, to empower us, to, to live your life in and through us, to give us the, um, the power to be able to pull that off. So we're asking these things, and we're thanking you in your name. Amen.